so much of these learned behaviors are like, oh, you shouldn't put yourself first. You should be kind of running your, you know, you should power through is the mentality I hear a lot of like, just keep going, just power through. So it's the idea that's like, there's a lot of ways to go around a wall. We don't always have to just run right through it, right? It's like, take the time, like build the door, dig underneath. There's so many ways to approach things that it's not greedy, it's not selfish to want more for yourself and to want yourself to be heard and appreciated. Welcome back to the You Need a Counselor podcast. This is a show presented by Heart and Solutions Counseling Agency. We release new episodes every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central and encourage you to batch up that laundry, put away the dishes, plan for the week ahead, or do any other task that might seem daunting while you give our show a listen. You might just be encouraged to call your therapist, connect with this week's guest, or seek out those services you've been considering for a while but haven't made the commitment to yet. If you are in the state of Iowa and are in need of mental or behavioral health counseling, give us a call at 1-800-531-4236. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to You Need a Counselor podcast. My name is Dr. Julie Johnson. I'm the president and founder here at Heart and Solutions in Iowa. And I'm Krista Hunt. I am our vice president in charge of our BHIS department. And this is our podcast, You Need a Counselor. So we are designed for people curious about counseling, but have barriers keeping them from experiencing the benefits of counseling. Our mission is to share stories about counseling, good, bad, and indifferent, and spread the message that everyone can benefit from mental health and behavioral health counseling services. Our guest today is, gosh, she was one of our first guests ever on this podcast. She was our very first podcast editor. So she edited, if you guys go back and listen to the first episodes that uh, that Chris and I did, um, Sam, our next guest, was our editor for all of those. Um, and so it is so exciting to have her back on the show today because she really is a huge part of the history of this show and the building of this show um, and just the way that the show has uh, continued to grow. Uh, so much of that has to do with the foundation that Sam set uh, in the beginning of this show. So we're just so excited to kind of come full circle and have her back on as a guest. Um, Sam Galima is a licensed professional clinical counselor in the state of Minnesota. Uh, she works with the adult outpatient team up there. Uh, she is a huge advocate for mental health. She is a huge fighter of the stigma that's associated with mental health. She does a lot of work with suicide prevention. Uh, she is passionate about trauma treatment. Uh, she just does so much to help those of us that struggle with mental health really find that safe space to be able to uh, to work through it and to improve our lives. Um, so we are just so excited to welcome Sam Galima back to the show. Welcome, Sam. Hi, thanks for having me back. I'm so excited to be back. We love having you here. So Sam is uh, was previously a counselor here at Heart and Solutions, moved to the state of Minnesota, um, and is now working at the Fraser set Fraser.org uh, is the organization. And now it's a nonprofit. So Sam, tell us all about uh, life in Minnesota and the work that you're doing up there now. Yeah, it has definitely been. I thought moving up, I'm like, it's not going to be that big of an adjustment. Like Iowa to Minnesota, it's not huge. And I was really surprised at just how different it is. Like the approach, it's an organization that really like encompasses everything from case management, waiver services, therapy, testing. It's just a very, very big organization. So I think finding my footing of like, okay, what is my lane here? What is like my role with clients of being a hundred percent, like they're my priority and they're my focus, but I also have to help them advocate within my own organization that we're working with. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic because so much can be done at Frazier, but it's also the idea of so much can be done. How do you make sure each client is meeting their needs and their kind of goals? So it's definitely been an interesting adjustment. I think one that I went in being like, this will be the same. It's not going to be that different, but it's really kind of showed me that every single like counseling experience for each individual is so different. And so you said you work on the adult outpatient team. So obviously I'm assuming you work with mostly adults, but what kind of like resources or what are kind of your responsibilities other than just like the typical therapy um, that you were doing more at our agency? 
So Frasier was originally um, founded to support autism diagnoses specifically. So really focusing on the neurodivergent brain. Um, and it originally started as like a children's focused organization. So the adult outpatient one that I'm working on is relatively new. Um, and it developed from there as like a group and adult like supportive homes. And they realized that just because someone has autism or neurodivergency, they also suffer from depression. They also have anxiety. And so much of it is, oh, we have this one big umbrella diagnosis. That's the only thing we're going to address when so much of it is like, oh no, there's so much other things that are, you know, underneath here. It's not just one thing or the other. It's this kind of big mixing pot. So they started the adult outpatient team because they realized that kind of coping with anxiety, with depression, with trauma, all of these things was going under the wayside just as like, oh, like this umbrella of if we can get you into housing support or if we can get you into social security, those things go away. But that's not true. If we look at like our needs, we have to get our basic need of safety met, but then that allows us to address our other needs of like belonging and care and connection. And that's really where the, like my role kind of steps in of, okay, we have the tools to do this now of establishing waiver services, establishing social security, managing benefits that we can get from the state of Minnesota. But how do we take those tools and actually use them and actually integrate them into our lives? Because it's not just enough to have the tools, it's how do we apply them? Wow. So in a therapy role, how are you utilizing the, I mean, it, it like you said, it, it sounds like somewhat of a double-edged sword, there are huge opportunities for the clients that you're working with. Um, but there's also, there are such a multitude of services that sometimes you're looking at, okay, what is priority here? What do we need to get done first, right? And and what is going to be kind of that sequence and plan? Um, and so how does that kind of strategy uh, come into those therapeutic sessions? I think there's a lot of it that it is kind of that uh, that old thing of like misery loves company. And I think in our sessions, a lot of times, uh, like that's, I don't know if anyone could relate to like trying to establish services. It is one of the most frustrating systems, right? There's a lot of like hurry up and wait, fill out this like 200 page form. It almost feels like, you know? So a lot of the sessions that I work with with clients is figuring it out together. Like admitting that, like, I don't know a lot of this stuff either, but we can sit and like, you can get out these frustrations and then we can kind of explore together, seeing what we can do. So it's not that overwhelming thing we have alone, right? So like a really big thing in sessions is, I don't know if anyone else relates to that, that overwhelming feeling where like you feel like you have so much in front of you that it's like, where do I even start with this, right? In our sessions, it's really nice to get this out, get out that overwhelming feeling of where do I even start with this? And then having my role is like that kind of consistent non-biased other perspective that's like, all right, we could start here or we could start here, kind of helping guide that energy, directing it. So it's not just spread, like spilling all over the place. Yeah. So it sounds like you're, you're in a supportive role as people are navigating these different services because they're, they're all needs. And so sometimes we can have um, just a, a, a variety of needs and not necessarily know where to start focusing. And so uh, what I'm hearing, you're, you're validating that overwhelming feeling, right? It's like, it's great to have choices, but oh man, it's hard to have choices. <laughs> and so you're able to validate that with them and just sit with uh, your clients to be able to allow them to feel the frustration that comes with uh, filling out those forms. So many people are filling out forms at home or filling out forms, you know, with a, a guardian or uh, or in an in-home service and uh, are not getting that therapeutic walk as they're going through this extremely difficult process. And it's not only frustrating for the person filling out the forms, the adult that might be looking for or needing the service, uh, but for support 
people as well. So if it's your sister or your mother or your father that's needing these services, uh, going through that process can be very straining on that relationship as well. Um, because as support people, we can we can tend to feel like, gosh, we want to help so badly, right? And feeling like, oh, I'm hitting brick walls when I'm doing this, right? And that inadequacy feeling that can come in as the support person. And so to be able to have the opportunity to go through that process with a trained professional, with a trained mental health counselor, uh, who is not going to have memories of you being five years old, right? And struggling with your knife and fork, right? <laughs> they're, they're not going to be projecting those past images of who you were in the past onto the struggle that you're facing now. Um, and so it, or, or any, you know, imagined future that you might have, that the support person may have had uh, and is now losing and grieving as uh, the person is filling out these forms and getting integrated into these services. So um, what a, what a beneficial service to have that, that, strictly third party person that can say, yeah, I also am confused by this, right? And that's okay and normal. And let's, let's just feel the frustration of it. Let's just feel the overwhelm of it. And then let's do one next right thing. And that's, that's a huge part of it. And, and that's like part of the work that I do with that too, right? Like I still am helping clients with just the day-to-day stress. I have a lot of college age clients that you know it's just these adjustments but it's so much of life is so quick going and we don't always have that time to just stop and be like I hate this feeling I hate feeling overwhelmed and I hate this but it's so much of we're not we're not supposed to let people see that we are struggling and in our sessions I just kind of remind people of like this is not a bad thing to feel it's very uncomfortable but we should be stressed about this stuff. This is important, right? We should feel angry. That's the part of our brain that knows we deserve better, right? And like sadness is the part that like shows what we care about. Like just because these emotions are uncomfortable, we don't have to hide them. We want to embrace them and let them kind of, a big thing I work with is like using your emotions like waves, right? You don't want to like try to swim against the waves and beat against them. Like that's just going to exhaust you. Like let yourself ride those waves in a safe and a manageable way because it will pass but we should never pretend like we're not getting hit by the waves because that's just, that's just not how life works. That's not how the beach works. Absolutely. A lot of people get injured literally doing that, right? So trying to stand when you're, when you're literally surfing, you're not supposed to try to stand up straight Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to bend your knees and you're supposed to ride with it because uh, that's how injuries happen. What a great metaphor. Yeah, I love that. Um, how do people get started with services with you? Is it typically like referred from another, like from their doctor or can people just reach out to the agency? Yeah, so the agency is actually kind of in a transition period, which is super interesting. Um, and again, like just like everything, it's definitely like that trial and error period. Um, but they started this new program at Fraser called Same Day Access. So it's if you call Frazier, you can get seen that day if it works for you. So we have an entire team of same day access clinicians where they meet with people that day they call in. They do what we call a, a comprehensive evaluation. Sometimes we call them like diagnostic assessments. It's basically getting that personal history, getting that diagnosis. And then those clinicians are like, okay, these are things you could benefit from in in our organization. So that's when they typically will be like, what are you looking for? And if someone's like, I don't even know, that's when they'll also be kind of sent to psychotherapy, which is that more of a long-term, right? Some people are coming in being like, I just want testing. I just want these kind of short-term solutions and not saying these short-term solutions aren't good, but we're looking at therapy can potentially be a longer experience of what comes to the surface in it. So yeah, they will call Frazier, go through same day access, and then the same day access team um, kind of creates our therapy wait list. Awesome. Yeah, I, I've seen this trend um, coming. I think it's great. Uh, we've interviewed the director of the Lynn County Access Center uh, here in Cedar Rapids and uh, and the tra- transitions that they've been doing and uh, with a similar system with a, with a same day, come in. Um, and the way that that has been able to divert people out of 
two places, the ER and the jails, um, and has been able to give people that extra alternative um, that they can choose to take or choose not to take. But it is that uh, way in the door uh, for those services and allows that open access um, for either the short-term need and or the long-term need. Uh, so I think that's wonderful. What an exciting transition. Yeah, it's been really cool. Um, and I really like to remind people too, like if we're looking at just like medical fields in general, like the mental health field is very young, right? And like, I use a metaphor a lot of like, you, if you sprain your ankle, you don't wait for your whole leg to break before you go into the doctor, right? So it's like, if we're looking at mental health, you don't want to wait until you get to that point where you feel like you can't take anymore, where you're breaking down. Like you want to go in right away when you start to be like, oh, this is starting to get hard for me. What can I do to heal this rather than let it get bigger and bigger and bigger and have to sort through so much. But in a lot of ways, there wasn't a place to go when, the, you know, like those like counseling agencies were there, but so much of it because of stigma was, oh, say you're going to the dentist or like, you know, this is the thing, like there's not always those resources where people can be like, something's hard, I want help or I want direction. And it's really cool to kind of see this evolution in the field of people being able to go in that day. And like you said, be directed away from more of those, like getting to the ER, getting into like the criminal justice system. It's that idea of early intervention is the best intervention. And it's cool to see the field shifting more for preventative measures rather than reactive measures. Yeah, I like that. You have a lot of good metaphors. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned like trauma treatment and how that's really interesting to you. Can you kind of explain like what that means to somebody listening? Like what kinds of things you work on in services or in the therapy that you do um, to work towards clients with trauma? Yeah, I think trauma is one of those, I've always been really drawn to it in both like those larger forms and those smaller forms. And when I say drawn to it, I know some people are like, what are you talking about? Why would you be interested in that? But I think it's the idea that suffering isn't a pie, right? So it's not like if I have this big of a piece, this person next to me only gets this size of a piece. It's the idea that everyone's individual experiences are their truth and are their reality. And it's not up to anyone to discredit what the other person has experienced with trauma or with suffering. So I really am drawn to like the trauma treatment of looking at what are those incorrect or those negative beliefs that formed from hard experiences for us, right? Is it the belief that our needs don't matter? Is it belief that we're not lovable? Is it this thing, did that happen in a really significant way, whether seeing violence or abuse, or did that happen in just kind of those comments that people have made continually throughout our life, right? So it's this idea that I really am drawn to trauma work because there's so much unlearning that has to go into trauma because we weren't in a supportive and a safe place that allowed us to build productive coping skills or productive views that can separate us of, oh, I'm not a bad kid, right? I was a good kid in a bad situation. And so much of it is if I'm in a bad situation, I'm a bad person, right? So that's a huge thing that like, I'm really drawn to the trauma treatments because a really important part of it is we're never going to try to get back to the person we were before hard things happened to us. You know, we want to be able to look at that and say, what's the person I want to build and become and being aware that this hard thing isn't what, isn't a reflection of me. It isn't a reflection of this. It's just something that was unavoidable and my needs weren't met. Absolutely. It's uh, when you say you're, you know, drawn to trauma, I, I can understand where people are like, what are you talking about? But I also understand exactly what you're talking about. Um, because trauma is such a key to being able, understanding trauma is such a key to being able to understand ourselves and the actions that we take, the thoughts that we think, the feelings that we have every single day, uh, and also helps us to understand the actions that we see other people take, the things that other people say to us, the things that other people feel about what the things that we do. Um, and understanding trauma really can is is that key piece to being able to put that puzzle together uh, and have a better understanding of it. Because uh, without understanding of trauma, without a trauma-informed lens or approach, 
things start to look very black and white. Behaviors start to look very black and white, right? Uh, I'm at the grocery store and a person wanted that last gallon of milk and screamed curse words at me, right? And that seems very black and white uh, without the lens of a trauma-informed approach to even that kind of situation, right? Because uh, without understanding trauma and trauma response, uh, that situation is like, oh, well, they're the villain, right? And I am, I'm the good guy, right? And I'm, the, or, or I'm the victim of this situation and they're the the villain. Um, and when we look at that through the lens of, uh, of potential trauma response, uh, we go, okay, that opens the door to, okay, there are other alternatives in this narrative other than that person is a villain and I'm always a victim that I always get yelled at, that I always get, uh, you know, somebody always steals my milk, right? Is a narrative that could very easily play out in my understanding and what I take away from that simple interaction in the grocery store um, and, and can lead me to continue to think, well, nobody is a safe person, right? It's not safe to go to the grocery store. uh, And I never get the things that I need because other people are aggressive, right? Or without, without that specific built in learned narrative that I might have due to a trauma response, uh, I, I might be able to see that a little bit differently, right? And be able to see like, okay, maybe that person is food insecure, right? Or maybe that person's children are food insecure. Um, and this person has had to fight for every single resource uh, that they have to survive. Uh, and so when we can when we can look at those through that lens of, okay, what is my trauma telling me about this situation? And what potentially is that person, uh, that person's trauma telling them about the situation? Because they might walk away from that and I'm the villain in their story, right? I'm the person who tried to take milk out of their baby's mouth, right? Uh, and so, and they fought against that and we're the hero of that story. Uh, and so it it's so important that puzzle piece to be able to understand ourselves, be able to understand other people. And then that translates into the way that we behave uh, towards those different uh, triggers that happen in our lives. Uh, so it, I, I definitely understand what you're saying when you're so you're so drawn to it. When people come in to and and or if somebody's listening and on the fence about starting counseling, they go, "Okay, I've got traumatic experiences. I have got beliefs in my head that like part of my brain is like that's not real, right? But also, I still feel it. I know it. The other part of my brain knows it's real." If somebody is listening, thinking that maybe that is them, uh, but the idea of talking about the traumatic experience is so overwhelming and so flooding uh, that it feels like an impossibility. What kinds of uh, interventions or what kinds of process will you use uh, if somebody comes in in that state? Yeah, I think with the trauma, like you said, trauma is all about like those perspective beliefs that are built in. And it is that idea that sometimes they've built so big that the idea of even talking about them, the idea of even acknowledging them is so terrifying that it will shut us down. Right. And, and that's a big reminder too. like our brain wants to protect us. Right. And the biggest thing with trauma is our brain is like, this is too hard to deal with. Just push this down. If we just pretend it's not there, like if there's a rock in your shoe, just keep walking. It doesn't matter if it hurts. It doesn't matter if it's there, just keep going. So a big thing I, with clients who are like, I don't want to talk about this right now. I remind them like, it's okay. Like you're the boss. You're the one in control because a lot of times trauma comes when we don't feel in control. We had no control in so many situations that it's the idea that a counselor should never force you or push you to open up about it. It's the idea of building safe and security that wasn't there when you were experiencing those things. So then you're able to take back that control and share it when you are ready, Right even if it's small things here and there, it's building that comfort, almost like testing the water. And a big thing with clients is I tell them like, whenever you are ready, I'll do encouragements. I'll be like, so this seems like something that's thought, you know, like those things. But I always remind the client, I tell them, I'm like, I have very thick skin. So you can tell me like, nope, absolutely not. Not talking about it. This isn't working. I don't like it. Right. It's the idea of empowering 
clients that you say stop, we stop. You know, like you say stop, we say, okay, do we need to regulate? Do we need to make sure that we're safe? And we're not ready for that right now. But even talking about it, even thinking about it is still growth, right? It's the idea of like, that's still improvement of, I was able to think about it today and not immediately shove it down, right? Like how can we have manageable discomfort when we're trying to process and talk about our trauma? We're never going to be like, replay that for me. Tell me word for word what it's about, right? It's okay for us to just being like, oh yeah, like this thing always makes me think about my mom, right? It makes me think about this hard experience or this is something I noticed. Sometimes it's okay to just be like, that's good. Notice that. Like simply just notice it so we can build up a reminding our brain, like I'm safe now. I don't have to run away from that. I don't have to fight that. I just have to notice it and see what do I want to do with it. And I think we talked about this probably when you were first a guest, but can you kind of give us some background on what got you interested even in the mental health field and working with people with trauma? Yeah, I think, well, the big thing with like the, like drawn to the mental health field, I did notice, like I was always someone that could like easily build connections with people. And I went through this kind of period where I was like, oh, like, am I like, I almost felt like, am I like fake for being able to just like connect with people? Because like, that seems weird, but I realized it came from just like a genuine interest in people's stories, you know? And then I kind of thought of like, huh, like this genuine interest in people's stories, but then also noticing like, I was having a really hard time with stuff, but nothing quote unquote bad happened to me, right? Like I grew up in a really supported family, like a really, really loving environment. All of my physical needs were met, but it took getting into the field to realize that not all of my emotional needs were met. And it wasn't until then that I was like, oh, there's so many multifaceted, like of being cared and supported for that unknowingly weren't there, right? And like a big thing I work with too, is I tell people like, our parents don't wake up and try to hurt us, right? Like that's, that's sometimes like there is cases of abuse where that is, but typically parents or caregivers don't wake up and try to hurt the people that they love. They wake up and they do the best with the lens and the perspective they have, but it's impossible for them to meet all of our needs. Right. And it's the idea that I got into the field because I realized that a lot of those needs were met, but a lot of them were just still kind of not met. And it wasn't anything malicious. It was just how life works sometimes. So I got into the field because I realized like the more you talk to people, the more you connect with people, it was like filling me up in a way that I was just like, oh, there's so much power in just simply listening to people and like people being able to feel heard or to feel like, they get to talk about things. And I'm like, this is something that I don't think is highlighted enough. And then finding the career and like of counseling, of looking at that, and then just how fast that can be. I was just like, this is, this is the place to go. There's so many different things, different treatments, different approaches that people can use that it's not a one size fit all, right? It's not like you have a cold and you go take this antibiotic and you're better in a few weeks. It's this idea of you try these different approaches, you have these different options in figuring out what is the thing that leads you to be optimal functioning. Because so much of it was just like, well, this works, but can there be more? Like, can this be better for me, right? So it's that idea that I think so many people overlook just how powerful connections can be. Absolutely. I love that role modeling of there. It doesn't have to be something is wrong. It doesn't have to be, oh, well, something's wrong with me or something's wrong with my situation. And that's why I need counseling. It can be and, and very often should be. I'm functioning at a certain level, but man, there's another level above that because there's another hundred levels above that, right? And so I, I want to be just continuously working towards that because there are places in any person's life where we could have more peace with ourselves. There are places in any person's life where we could have more contentment with ourselves. Um, no matter what our situation is, it doesn't mean that uh, you know, well, there's something I need to fix. There's something I need to, you know, resolve. Uh, it just means I, I want to continue to, uh, to strive for more peace, more fulfillment, more 
pleasant days, more pleasant interactions, more relationship building in my life. Um, and just like learning, just like when we, you know, we go through high school and then we go, oh man, am I done learning? Well, uh, no, because every day, whether we're reading a book or not, whether we're just talking to somebody in a coffee shop, we're learning new things all the time. If we're sitting in a mall and people watching, we're, we're learning things as we're doing that. Um, and so there's constant learning happening in any, any human. And there's that constant desire. And one of the, uh, you know, you talked about those, those initial needs, right? Uh, those, those safety needs, our four walls, getting our, our food and shelter met. Uh, but there is, there are those needs for self-enlightenment, self-fulfillment, uh, self-acceptance um, that we, we never fully reach. We never say, oh, check that, right? I've, I've got self-fulfillment. I've got self-acceptance uh, going, right? Because there's always something new, a new layer that we discover about ourselves, uh, something new that we go, oh, didn't know that about myself. Okay. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for my identity now? Right. And how I feel about these things. And um, so there's always just something new to explore. The mind is, is that, you know, next frontier, that new frontier um, to be explored. Uh, and really what a great example that counseling isn't, we don't have to <laughs> have some, you know, some terrible thing happen to us. We can, we can go and just work on the things that, uh, that we don't have peace about. I think that's a great example. And I think, especially with like counseling and what drew me to the profession was this idea of, I don't know if it's a Midwest thing. I don't know if it's a female thing or what it is, but it's almost this idea of, you're not supposed to want more. Like if things are okay, they should just be okay. But I was like thinking about it where it's like, it's not greedy to want more fulfillment in my life. It's not greedy to want to be able to put myself first. It's not selfish to do these things. It's this idea that we all should be striving of how am I filling up myself and getting my needs met so then I can also help fill up the people around me that I care about and love. So a lot of times it's like, oh, I don't, I don't have an hour of, you know, the week. I don't have these times. But in reality, so much of these learned behaviors are like, oh, you shouldn't put yourself first. You should be kind of running your, you know, you should power through is the mentality I hear a lot of like, just keep going, just power through. But it's the idea that's like, there's a lot of ways to go around a wall. We don't always have to just run right through it, right? It's like, take the time, like build the door, dig underneath. There's so many ways to approach things that it's not greedy. It's not selfish to want more for yourself and to want yourself to be heard and appreciated. Mm -hmm. And kind of with that too, you talked about like fighting the mental health stigma and how you're really passionate about that as well. What are some ways that people like listening may be able to help work towards that as well and help fix that stigma with fighting towards mental health? I think a really big thing with fighting towards like the stigma of mental health is just as simple as it can be is like honesty, right? Of like how often like we're with our friends or with those things that we only want to share those highlights, right? That highlight reel of like, things are good. Like how often when people are like, how are things going? And you're like, oh, it's good. When in reality, like if it's like, oh, you know what? Like it was kind of a stressful day, but I can manage it, right? Like even just simply like highlighting those things of like, you know what? Like my brain was pretty mean to me today. Like saying these things and just simply talking about those things honestly within our small circle and then allowing it to build into our bigger circle as well. But also <clears throat> even talking about like, at work, right? Sharing those things of like, you know what, I'm really burnt out and I'm going to take a mental health day. It's that idea of the way we fight stigma is having it become a normal and integrated part and just to our daily conversations. And there's so much of it that I think I almost, I'm, I'm very much like a, I, I compare myself to Leslie Nope. If anyone has watched Parks and Rec, like I love doing like really big things. And for so long, I was like, I need to advocate for mental health and the stigma against it by doing these huge things by like calling people out by do you know having these events and then I realized that it's the way that we approach these little changes every day of being honest where we're at like the conversations we're having with people the kind of when someone says something where it's like that sucks but it's whatever you know just being like no it's not whatever if that was hard for you that's okay that that was hard for you because so much of it is just those daily things those daily conversations that I realized are so powerful with fighting mental health right and they're like I have so many people that are being like 
I always help in my clients that like the word that we don't use, like, I don't care if you use the F word, you know, but the F word I don't like us using is fine because so much of it is that's just that kind of banded on a bullet hole, right? Of like, oh, like my partner yelled at me, but it's fine. Why is that fine? Why are we okay with kind of our needs not being met, but we put that F word over it and it's just supposed to be okay, right? How often does that word come up in just daily life when reality, it's not okay. It's not fine. And the way to kind of challenge the mental stigma is just being like, why is that fine? Right? Just asking like, why is that okay? That this hard thing happened to you and your needs weren't met. Why is that okay? Why is that fine? Yeah, it, you know, it ties so much into, uh, well, you talked about conditioning, right? And uh, conditioning, as a woman conditioning and it definitely I, I grew up in Massachusetts and Iowa is totally different. <laughs> People are conditioned way different out here and, and in Massachusetts too. Um and so that that idea of glazing over the reality of situations and that idea of uh of so much of the time it ties into learned helplessness. Um it ties into Okay, well, my my boyfriend yelled at me, but it's fine because I I have the idea that it has to be fine because I have the idea. Uh, maybe I've been conditioned to think that I cannot change that situation. Uh, maybe I had a parent who was exactly the same way and would yell at me, uh, and I learned that that was okay when I literally had no power. I literally was helpless because I was four years old. And now as an adult, I've learned that helplessness as a child. I'm in a relationship with a boyfriend that yells at me the same way that my parents did. And I learned when I was helpless, that I was helpless and that that was how I was shown love. And so when my boyfriend does it to me, I don't enjoy it. But I've learned when I was a child that me not enjoying being yelled at doesn't matter. And that me not enjoying that, there's nothing I can do about it. So I just need to deal with it inside myself. And that learned helplessness that we that we gain over time uh, and then comes with us into adulthood from childhood uh, is just so interesting. The, the conversations that our adult self uh, can have with our child self and uh and just the question asking ourselves the question when we use a term like fine right or when we say like oh it's whatever or who you know what can you do right or it is what it is all of those types of phrases that we use um the the question asking ourselves the question you know who is saying that uh is it my adult self who is a powerful independent strong adult woman or is it my three-year-old self who was you know three feet tall and uh had nowhere else to go uh but but live with this parent right so uh and having those conversations between our adult self can just really help free us from some of that uh learned helplessness that shows up all the time when we are using those those phrases. Um, so I, I just love that. Uh, what a great kind of indicator, right? What a great way to, we, we all go through our day and we've got things we've got to do. We've got people we got to take care of, right? We got dogs we got to feed, right? And so everybody's got, every, we, we kind of go through our day and we're always, we're busy, right? We're busy. And so what a great way to notice when something like that, when a conversation like that, or when a thought process like that can be useful is when I notice that somebody asks me how I am and I don't even think about how I am, right? Mm -hmm. I just literally go, oh, good, how are you? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, just just a great place to, to stop and kind of think about those things and to, to bring those to therapy and be able to talk about in therapy. I love that. Nobody's fine. <laughs> Therapy, nothing's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's how much of that is that reflexive response, right? Like, because it's like you get asked that question in the drive-thru at the grocery store every time, you know, where it's like our brain, I don't even know sometimes we even register it anymore because it's just like, I'm good, I'm fine. 
when, you know, the way that we fight that stigma is by giving ourselves a pause and being like, how am I right now? Right? Like I tell a lot of my clients that we have to be really intentional with our energy and our time because like we have to pull ourselves back sometimes because we're going, like you said, like it's so busy. We have so much going on that it's really easy to just roll from one thing into the next. That if we're not giving ourselves time to pause and just being like, how am I right now? Especially with like the holidays, like all of my sessions this week so far have been like, I feel like I'm scattered. I feel like there's so much going on. And I'm like, because there is so much going on because this is a hard time of year. I'm like, this is like where the most referrals come in. It's like November, December, January, because this is a really overwhelming time, but we're kind of conditioned to say that things are fine. And that if we're not in that good or fine space, our time with people is wasted when there's so much like power and vulnerability and being able to say like, I'm having a hard time with this right now, or I'm worried about this. And it doesn't bring the mood down. It allows us to connect with people in a way that like the stigma of mental health has stopped people from connecting in that really genuine way. And I think that's something that I'm appreciating more is like the older I'm getting with like myself in therapy, being a therapist. And then like my friends in therapy, I've like, I we're having these conversations and then can immediately also go and make jokes, right? It's the idea that it doesn't bring the conversation down. It's you get to have the waves of vulnerability, deep connection, silly jokes, talking about, you know, like random things. It's not one or the other. It's how are we integrating both sides of the coin, the hard emotions, the uncomfortable emotions, and the good and the funny emotions. Like these are all things that they're not competing for space. They just want to all be in the same space. And it really does take a a shift in belief to be able to answer a question like that, honestly, with a safe person. Uh, Because when we say, good, how are you? Uh, You know, to to the teacher at the pickup line, right? Or Mm -hmm. somebody, we're we're just, they're just saying, oh, how's it going? Uh, The belief, a lot of times, there are multiple, multiple beliefs that can cause us to say, oh, I'm fine. Or to even to say it to our counselor, because we're so used to saying it to other people. And and one of the potential beliefs is, well, nobody actually cares what the answer is, right? Like, if I say that to the crosswalk uh, attendant, right, and they go, oh, hey, how are you? And I say anything, but, oh, how are you? And they say, oh, great. And we keep moving. Uh, That's an awkward situation, right? And so we go, okay, we, we can have this belief that like, oh, no, nobody actually cares what that is. But where that, where that belief can sometimes stem from is the belief that, oh, no, I don't actually care how I am feeling. Because uh, because I've been in situations uh, at maybe as a child where I had to not care. I had to not uh, think about or fully experience how I actually was doing uh, because it wasn't safe to do so. And because I needed to be able to emotionally survive, which meant not being able to uh actually experience those feelings. And, uh, and so sometimes that belief of, well, nobody actually cares. And, and even, you know, going to your therapist and then saying, oh no, everything's fine. Everything's good. Um, comes from sometimes that belief that no, even that person who is, this is their profession, right? That they, like, they are in this room because they want to know how you're doing. It even extends that far sometimes, right? And and some so often it comes from the belief that, no, I don't care how I'm doing because it hasn't been safe for me to care about how I'm doing. Um, and so I just think it's such a great example. Uh, and it takes so much work to change that perspective. Um, But, you know, the idea of thinking that other people are safe to express emotions to, if it's been our experience that they're not, uh, is is kind of an internal job. And it, it does start with, okay, I can't control if other people, if I believe that other people don't care, like when, when my therapist asked me how I am, right. I might have thoughts of like, well, you're getting paid to ask me that, right. Or like, you don't actually care. Um, And so if I'm having that, 
I can't control whether that therapist actually does care about what I'm saying or wants to hear how I'm doing, but I can control how I respond to the question of, okay, how am I right now? Right. And going through that checklist of like, oh, I don't, something's off. Like, am I hungry? Did I eat today? Really? Like, am I thirsty? Have I drank any water? Or has it been like constant iced coffee all day? Right? Am I, am I tired? Did I sleep at all last night? Or, uh, you know, certain, certain feelings for me, uh, I know that I will have, and then I'll be like, oh, wait, how much did I sleep last night? Right? Like, oh, I, it's gotta be an early night tonight. Um, because sleep just impacts those emotions so much. So being able to check in, on those, those kind of core uh, needs that we have, and then adding to that list as we feel more comfortable, right? It's more comfortable to ask ourselves, ooh, am I tired? <laughs> like, ooh, am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Um, versus, am I feeling lovable? Am I feeling acceptable? Am I feeling, right? Uh, and so am I feeling like the the world needs me, right? Am I feeling worthwhile? Those are more challenging uh, questions to ask ourselves when we're checking in with ourselves on how we're doing. But starting with those, am I hungry, right? Am I tired? Is my body uncomfortable in this chair? <laughs> Just all of those things uh, can kind of be gateway into that. So, uh, and I, I love the rock in the shoe example too. Last time we talked about, you know, high functioning anxiety and oh my word, <laughs> there's, there's so much of that, right? Press on goals, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. Um, and there's always kind of that next thing to go towards. And, uh, and I, I love building that pause into our day-to-day lives. And it is an act of advocacy for mental health. Just asking ourselves, nobody else even needs to know that we're having this conversation with ourselves. We could be doing it as stoplight. Nobody's going to know. Just that one action of checking in with ourselves is mental health advocacy. I love that so much. Wow. So uh, with your counseling services, Right now, how will somebody, if they want to start working with you, if they feel like, oh man, that's a that's a person I could maybe talk to, uh, how can they reach out to you, Sam? Uh, they can just reach out. Fraser's a pretty big organization up here in Minnesota. They can reach out um, at Fraser.org is our website and just kind of connecting to same day access. They just say my name, then they'd be added to my list of potential clients. Um, and then just kind of starting from there. But it is the idea too, like there's so many great therapists out there, right? And I love the, like the part of this podcast and I always tell people too, like, it's okay if we don't connect to a therapist, right? And that's because we're not meant to connect with every person. So there's a lot of therapists like me. And if you're listening to this and you're like, this style would not work for me, that's okay. Like I said, I have thick skin. I know I'm not supposed to be everyone's therapist because I'm not supposed to be friends with everybody in the world. And I'm not friends with my clients per se, but there's just certain styles and approaches that work best for you. So it's the idea of calling and getting started and then being like, reminding like, you know what? Like if I'm not clicking with this person, that's okay. It's not their fault. It's not my fault. Like, this one's just not working for me. So how do I connect with like the next person? I have helped clients in the past being like, you know what, this isn't working. Let's work together and find someone who might be a better fit for you. So it's the idea of looking at every therapist, every kind of service, looking at like, okay, this could be the stepping stone for the next thing for me. Maybe that next thing is a different therapist. Maybe that next thing is like self-awareness, different change. But yeah, like if anyone would ever want to start working with me, just kind of contacting the Fraser organization and getting in that way is where I'm currently at. <laughs> awesome. And if you could give a suggestion to somebody on the fence about starting counseling, what would that be? I think the suggestion would be almost like kind of what we ended on today is like looking at like, where is that voice coming from that saying that you shouldn't? Like looking at that thing, like what, where's that belief coming from? Where's that idea coming from that you don't deserve time and attention and consideration and someone's like full support because I tell everyone too, like all you're doing when you're studying therapy is adding a person in your life who just wants what's best for you. And doesn't everyone need that? Like just having another person that wants what's best for you. That doesn't mean therapy is easy. 
but it's the idea that what are we doing to kind of finally stop, sit down, take the rock out of our shoe so we can be walking and doing those things without that constant pain or pinch or that thing because you deserve to be able to do these things that fulfill you, that are comfortable for you. So the idea of like thinking about what's the voice telling you that that's not a good idea. And also give yourself that control of, you know what, if I hate it, I get to say this isn't working for me. It's low stakes to start, right? And then you get to kind of find what's that motivation to keep you in it. Absolutely. I love that. Uh, Being able to change our minds, being able to adapt the plan. Um, And it starts with starting. So what a great, yeah, that's great advice. Great suggestion there. So Sam, it is always awesome to talk to you. (laughs) We just, we just adore you uh, as a person and uh, it's great to have you uh, on the show, get to talk to you, get to catch up with you. Um, So exciting, the work that you are doing up there at the Fraser Center. Um, Really, really exciting, the stuff that, that they're doing there and, and uh, integrating into your programs there. So uh, just fascinating, but we're just so glad that you're still out there in this field and helping people and, uh, and working that, that counselor magic that you really do. You really, really do have. Um, It's, it's incredible. So thank you so much, Sam, for being on the show here today. Uh, It's wonderful to talk to you as always. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me back. I, I, I miss you guys. I miss Iowa. I miss Heart and Solutions so much. So it was so fun to just like talk to you again. <laughs> we miss you as well. Uh, but we're so excited that uh, that things are going well for you up there in Minnesota. Um, and if you are interested in any of the services that the Fraser Center has to offer, uh, you can go to Fraser.org. It is F-R-A-S-E-R. Dot org um, in the in Minnesota, and there are several locations, uh, and there is telehealth available as well. Um, so lots of different avenues for getting your foot in the door in those services and uh, continuing to get that support if you are in Minnesota. So thank you again, Sam. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm Sam Bluma, and I need a counselor. And I'm Chris Hunt, and I'm Julie Johnson, and we need a counselor. And so do you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the You Need a Counselor podcast. We are so grateful that you're here. Now, we want to hear from you. Text us or give us a call at 515-650-3231. You can also find and connect with You Need a Counselor on Facebook and Instagram. If you've enjoyed today's show, please take a moment to like, review, or leave a comment, as all of these things help others to find and benefit from the podcast as well. If you're in the state of Iowa and interested in mental health counseling or behavioral health intervention services, give us a call at 800-531-4236. And if you're a provider seeking play therapy CEUs, you can find us on patreon.com slash you need a training. We'll see you for the next episode Sunday at five.